Well, Happy New Year, High Point. I'm sorry I interrupted your greeting. I'll give you just a minute. Hey, I want to thank all of you who are here in person. Thank all of you who are joining us online as well. This is, this is the, of course, first Sunday of 2021. And you may have noticed the new banners on our wall that we change every year. It's going to be our theme for the new year. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. The Lord says, see, I am doing a new thing. Scripture goes on to say, do you not perceive it? There's one small problem with our banner. We got the scripture right, but we got the address wrong. It says Psalm 43:18. if you can even see that. It's actually Isaiah 43:18. We're going to work on getting that fixed. Did anybody notice that by chance? Any of you scholars? Look at those two. Yeah, of course. The scholars among us notice those things. And if I hadn't said something, they'd have talked about it all afternoon when they got home. It had chewed you up inside, wouldn't it? So we're going to try to get that fixed. But... Uh, the message is very clear. Forget the old. Look forward to the new thing that God is going to do. And it's a very timely message for us because if you're like me, I'm certain that you are glad that 2020 is over and that we are entering 2021. Let's face it, 2020 was quite an unusual year. And the truth is that probably the first quarter of this year is going to be a challenge as well until they get the coronavirus under control and many of the restrictions are lifted. But what this scripture is telling us is to quit looking back at what was. And let's start looking forward to what is going to be. And so we're going to kick off this new year with a sermon series designed to do just that. Uh, we want to move toward deepening our relationship with Jesus. I want to challenge you to go deeper in your faith this year. You see, I believe with all my heart that God has some big plans for this church and for the people who make up this church, and that would be you. There are incredible blessings, and I think even new spiritual revelation that God has for you and I individually, but neither of those things I think will be experienced if we simply stay where we are, if we simply refuse to, to draw closer to him. What I'm trying to say is that I think too many of us kind of live our lives on the fringe of our faith uh, by either being comfortable and satisfied with where we're at, with the status quo, or seemingly, seemingly not being interested in going deeper in the things of the Lord. But here's something also that I believe with all my heart. As time progresses, there is inevitably going to be greater challenges facing those within the household of faith. Because we live in a day when our Christian values are not just being questioned, but criticized and even challenged in the court of popular culture. This world isn't so much interested in letting us be anymore. Uh, they actively want to seek to destroy the very principles that, we guide, that guide our lives. And so here's the deal, I believe, for any follower of Jesus Christ. The status quo just ain't going to cut it anymore. We need something more. We need a greater faith. We need a stronger commitment to the Lord more than ever before. We need the power in order to endure. You see, we are called a people who are to be set apart. And when I say set apart, I'm not talking about people who distance themselves from others. It simply means that we are people who are to live in a different kind of a way. People whose lives are being transformed by the washing of God's word and by the influence and the strength of the Holy Spirit. And all the while maintaining a standard of excellence in our Christian walk. And so today we're going to begin a four-week series that I am calling a new thing named after our theme scripture. It's going to be about God's standard of excellence. You see, God does hold a standard. And the bar is set very high. But when I say that, it is essentially important for you to understand this. The standard of excellence is an attainable. Is a standard of excellence is an attainable standard for you and I. Because once again, once we are being transformed and washed in the word of God and empowered by his Holy Spirit, we can indeed live our lives meeting God's standard of excellence because he gives us the power and the ability to do so. Our series is going to come 
from the book of Malachi in, Old, in the Old Testament. In preparation, you can go ahead and turn there now. It's the last book in the Old Testament, right before Matthew. Malachi is one of those books in the Bible that people rarely read, but it is a powerful book. And Malachi is considered one of the minor prophets of the Old Testament. And when I say minor, it has nothing to do with the content. It has everything to do with the small size of the book itself. Because the content found within Malachi is incredibly challenging and it is utterly honest. And there's a reason for that because Malachi was called by God to bring a message of judgment to Israel. Malachi's name means my messenger, and that's exactly what God used him to be, a messenger to Israel. Israel desperately needed a messenger because throughout their history, they were found to be a very fickle people indeed. They were up one day and down the other, like a roller coaster ride. You can see seasons where they were very close to God, and it showed in God's tremendous blessings in their lives individually and as a group. And yet there were seasons of great distance and almost a disregard for God, which manifested in difficult times for them, lacking God's blessings. So Malachi was called by God to bring a message of judgment to Israel who had gotten off track. And as you read this book of Malachi, you will see that he uses kind of a question and an answer style in order to get his message across to them. Israel had become so sinful as a nation that God's word was no longer having any impact on them. There was arrogance, hypocrisy, infidelity, divorce was running rampant, and even the priests were corrupt. They were dishonoring God's name. They were profaning God's covenant. And through it all, Israel still carried around this false sense of security in their privileged relationship that they had with the Lord. And I don't know about you, but that sounds an awful lot like America today. There was spiritual and moral decay that was going on, and Malachi was called by God to do what prophets did in those days, to bring people back to God. And it was not just to bring them back, but it was to bring back their worship and their honor and their reverence for God, to bring back their relationships and their stewardship to a level of excellence as set forth by God. And rather than bog you down with a whole lot more details about why this book was written, here's the main thing that you need to know. Malachi was commissioned by God with the purpose of reestablishing standards of excellence among God's people. Because sin and the dismissal of God's standard had, become, had begun to dramatically change the attitudes and the behaviors and the relationships of God's people. Everything was drifting south. The spiritual commitments were drifting as well as their marriages and their families, their stewardship of their money and their resources as well as their morals. They were all heading in the wrong direction. So God appointed this courageous and straight-talking guy or prophet named Malachi to come and to reestablish God's standards. And even more importantly, to challenge the people to start living up to those standards. So as we talk this morning about not looking back and instead looking forward to this new thing that God wants to do, please understand that this is not new for God. It's new for us. It's all about participating in his plan. It's all about committing ourselves to a standard that God has established, which is something that some of us have never participated in before. But when we choose to participate, when we choose to walk away from the status quo, what we will find is a new way of life. We will discover freedom. We will discover, discover purpose. We will find encouragement. We will discover contentment in our lives and excellence in our Christian journey. So let me kind of set the scene for you before we read our scripture this morning. Hundreds of years prior to Malachi, God had told his people, whenever it is time for you to bring a lamb into the temple as a worship offering, I want you to walk through your herds and I want you to select your very best lambs. I want you to find those, those blue ribbon lambs or the ones that would bring the most money to you in the marketplace because I want you to make an excellent worship offering. That was God's standard. 
Now let me explain to you the whole uh, lamb and sacrifice thing. Before, in the, Old in the Old Testament, before Jesus came, the priests would offer sacrifice of lambs on the altar before God. Part of the reason why God wanted them to bring their best lamb was because hundreds of years later, God would send Jesus Christ into the world. Jesus was God's lamb that would take away the sin of the world. And God knew he was going to give his best lamb. Now you know where the, the, the phrase lamb of God comes from. Jesus was the lamb of God. God was actually foretelling here. He was saying to his people, the standard for lambs is very high. So give me your best lamb because I am going to give you my very best. And for a time, God's people were honoring that standard of excellence and they brought their prized lambs to the temple for offering. But by the time Malachi arrived on the scene, things had changed dramatically. And so let's read what happened and listen to God's response. And this is found in Malachi chapter 1, verses 8 through 11. If you don't have your Bible, it will be up on the screen and you can follow along behind me. I'll be reading from the New International Version, Malachi 1, 8 through 11. When you offer blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? Now plead with God to be gracious to us. With such offerings from your hands, will he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty, and I will accept no offering from your hands. My name will be great among the nations, from where the sun rises to where it sets. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to me, because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. You getting the picture here? Instead of people searching their flocks to find the very best lamb to bring to the temple, they were doing precisely the opposite thing. They begrudgingly started to walk through their herds, not looking for the best. Instead, they were looking for the worthless lamb, the one that was blind, the one that was crippled, the one that wasn't even able to stand up. He was over by the fence post, ready to keel over and die. And they'd say, this is the one that we don't need. This is the one that won't bring us any money in the marketplace. So let's take this one to the temple. Then they'd scoop it up. They'd put it on the altar before God. And they'd say, here's your worship offering, God. I hope you like it. So God sends Malachi to talk to the people. And he says, hey, Israel, God doesn't like this. He doesn't like it at all. In fact, this whole deal is so offensive to God that in verse 10 he says, oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. Putting it another way, better than bring no lamb at all than to bring a blemish land. Just shut the doors before you ever try to pull that stunt again. And you know, the truth is, I can really relate with Malachi's warning to Israel. Because when I was much younger, I spent a lot of time trying to figure out how to offer the bare minimum to God without reaping his displeasure. It never even dawned on me that I should try to give God my best. And subsequently, God got my leftovers. He didn't get much of my love or my time or my talent or my money. All I had ever really given God was the leftovers of my life. And truthfully, it never dawned on me that giving God my leftovers might have been offensive to him. I somehow got this crazy idea that God would be tickled pink with any little scrap of attention that I might give him or any little bone that I might throw in his direction. Later in my life, after I completely crashed and burned, God delivered me from the mess that I had created through ongoing habitual sin. And it was then that I decided to commit my life fully to him. It was also at that time when I realized that God didn't want my leftovers. He didn't want my table scraps any longer. God wanted and God still wants my very best. And that made me rethink everything about my relationship with him. 
I began to think more deeply about the whole concept of God's divine excellence. And I even began to reflect on how incredibly excellent God had been in everything he has ever done. As an example, let's start with his excellence in creation. By any standard of measurement, he did an excellent job when he created the heavens and the earth, don't you think? Just spend a single morning watching the sunrise up over the ocean or set over the ocean or spend an evening under the stars. We were on a cruise ship once out in the middle of the ocean. I've never seen stars like that because it was completely dark. You're surrounded by nothing but darkness. And for the first time in our life, Lisa and I went, oh my God, this is incredible. Because in the city, you don't see the stars like that. And it was an amazing thing. I mean, just go to Grand Canyon or Niagara Falls or walk over that cusp to, to, to Crater Lake and give God a grade. What grade would you give him? Good? Fair? No, I think you'd give him an excellent grade. No doubt you'd have to put an excellent mark next to his work. What about God's excellence in his creation of human beings? God created you with a, with a body, a mind, a soul, and a spirit. You have physical, emotional, and spiritual capabilities that literally boggle the imagination. You'd have to give God a good grade for that. And then when these magnificent human beings that he created shook their fist and rebelled against God pretty early on in the Old Testament, instead of stomping them out for their insurrection, God demonstrated excellent patience and forbearance. He just keeps loving us. He just keeps working with, with us rebellious creatures century after century. He has excellent patience when it comes to us. God has also offered excellence in guidance and in direction. One time he led his people across a barren wilderness from Egypt to Canaan, hundreds of miles with a guidance system that was much more sophisticated than the GPS that you and I have in our cars today. It was a cloud by day, and a pillar of fire by night. Never a single compass degree off of the course that God wanted them to take. And daily, those of us who love and serve the Lord are given guidance in navigating this world in which we live. God truly offers excellence in guidance. And what about God's excellence in protection? One time in the Old Testament, God's people were outnumbered 100 to 1, by an enemy nation, and yet God gave his people excellent protection, and he delivered them from that moment. But then we come to the New Testament, and we see God's excellence in the gift of his son. John 3.16 says, his only begotten son. And when Jesus came to the earth, he set the highest standard for excellence in teaching, because no one had ever taught like Jesus taught, and no one ever will teach like Jesus taught. He set the standard of excellence for wisdom and integrity. Even his detractors couldn't find any fault with his life. And when you talk about love, Jesus established excellence in love. No one had ever loved like Jesus loved. So Jesus redefined excellence in every possible way. And then when it was a time came for Jesus to, to pay for our sins, he died an excellent death. Have you ever thought about that? Jesus carried his own cross. He forgave those who were pounding spikes into his hands and his feet. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They don't know who they are killing. And with his final breath, he even made room for one more sinner into his kingdom, which was the thief on the cross next to him. And then he said, it is finished. And he died an excellent death. No one ever died a death as excellent as Jesus, because he died voluntarily. It was his mission, and his cause was you and I. And of course, he pulled off an excellent resurrection. It was quick. It was clean. He left his body wrappings undisturbed. He didn't even wake the guards, the sleeping guards. He showed himself to about 500 or so people before he ascended to the right hand of his Father in heaven. It was an excellent ascension for which he doesn't get much credit for. Then he sent his excellent spirit, the Holy Spirit, so that each one of his followers could carry his power and his presence within him. The scriptures say when we receive Christ, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. 
and his spirit now indwells us. And then he birthed an excellent and dynamic organization called the church, which would express his love to a love-starved world throughout the generations. It would also give his followers a family of faith in order to, to belong to, as well as a mission to commit our lives to. And the scripture tells us that right now, he is preparing an excellent eternity for us. And he's doing this for all the people who put their trust and their faith in him. 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of men the things, the kind of excellence, which God hath prepared for them that love him. So when you write all of this stuff down and you do an excellent assessment of God's divine activity, what happens is you begin to understand why it is that the book of Revelation says one day that we're going to join together with the angels face to face with God and we're just going to cry out, worthy, worthy. But we could just as easily say, excellent, excellent. And I promise you on that day that, that God won't get any low grades from you and he won't get any low grades from me. He will receive nothing but excellent from across the board because he is the epitome of excellence. Amen? Well, let's get back to old Malachi. Malachi is simply asking a question to the people of that day, and they are questions that apply to us here in America in the 21st century. How then should a human being respond to all of these excellent activities of God? What kind of lamb do you bring as a response to such an excellent God? Don't bring the one leaning on the fence that's ready to die or the blind one or the crippled one or the worthless one. Malachi says, don't bring the wrong kind of lamb to the one who gave his best for you. Don't do it because God isn't interested in our leftovers. He's not interested in our table scraps or our bones. Better you bring no lamb, lamb at all than to bring that kind of stuff. And here's the truth. Sooner or later, every one of us is going to have to sort this thing out for ourselves. This business of what kind of lambs we are bringing to God, sooner or later, you're going to have to answer that question that is presented by Malachi. What kind of quality lamb will you offer God who has given you the very best? And when you read this passage, it has a way, I think, of bringing great perspective. Because when you start to realize just how excellent God has been to you, it becomes more clear than ever that you need to make an excellence commitment back to him. And that's really what I want to talk about this morning. And there are clearly three areas this year that, that we all need to offer our very best that we have to God. And so in response to God's very best towards us, we all need to move from a conditional commitment to God to a place completely unknown to some of us. We must offer our very best, unconditional, carte blanche commitment to God. And what other adjective you want to add to that? And, and, and that may be a challenge for some of us. Perhaps because you've never before made an unconditional commitment to anyone or anything before in your life. You see, as human beings, many of us are what you would call options kind of people. We're always looking for the escape hatch, never making uh, that kind of a commitment to anyone or anything. We're here today and we're gone tomorrow. But the truth is, if there is going to be any integrity in your and my relationship with Jesus, we need to answer this question with great honesty. What would be an appropriate commitment to make to someone who has paid the ultimate price and who made the ultimate commitment to me? Now, you may wrestle with the answer to that question. Anything less, because it, it, it always boils down to this. You must all make a carte blanche, unconditional commitment to the Lord. Because when you think about it, anything less than that cheapens what Christ did for you and I. So we got to get to the point, every one of us, where we say, God, 
I formally take conditions off of my commitment to you. I will do your bidding, whatever it is. I will obey your will. I will go to where you ask me to go. I'll say yes to your promptings of the Holy Spirit as I understand them. And I will live out this unconditional commitment even if it costs me something. Because of God's commitment to us, we must give him an unconditional carte blanche commitment in return. We must give him our very best for his very, very best. Does that make sense? Well, if it does, then you will find when you get to the point of actually doing this, I mean, taking limits and conditions off the table regarding your relationship with your heavenly father, instead of feeling a sense of disappointment or regret or even unfulfilled, those unfulfilled feelings that can come on you from time to time, you will begin to feel just the opposite. You'll begin to feel a surge of spiritual adrenaline in your body. You will start to live a God-guided adventure, which will be more exciting than anything that you've ever experienced before. You will become liberated from a self-led, self-limiting, dull life. You'll begin to get very practical, and you'll start to ask questions like, who's more likely to mess up my one and only life, me or God? Shouldn't take you too long to figure that one out because we've all messed up our lives in one way or the other. And if we just trusted God, we'd probably all be in a different place than we are today. You see, ladies and gentlemen, God will do so much better job at leading your life than you will ever possibly be able to do. And you can begin to live a life, as they say, with no regrets because you've made that unconditional carte blanche decision to your heavenly father. And I just need to say something at this point as your pastor. I love you. I love all of you. But sometimes as I stand here, I wish I could go from person to person and look you in the eye and ask, okay, have you formally and thoughtfully and irrevocably made a carte blanche commitment to Christ? Have you? Have you said, God, I'll do whatever you ask me to do. I'll go wherever you ask me to go. I will turn over the helm of my life to you, and I will follow you unconditionally, even if it costs me something. Or you do, do you still have some commitments on your uh, limits, excuse me, on your commitments to God? Are there other things in your life that have a higher rating than God? Here's what's interesting about the, all of this. Some of us look at the commitment level of others, Someone who we look up to spiritually and we think, man, is that guy, is that girl ever noble? But Malachi would say to us, if you're living with a commitment that is less than your very best, you're offering God a blemished lamb. Can you see why old Malachi rocks so many people's world? Some of us actually pat ourselves on the back for giving a 50% commitment to the Lord or an 80% commitment or a 90% commitment to God, while Malachi, I believe, would simply say a 90% commitment to God is 10% short of what he expects. It's a blemished lamb. Better to offer no lamb than to offer a blemished lamb. What a fiery guy this Malachi was in reestablishing God's standard of excellence among God's people. He's saying, here's the bar. Friends, this is the bar, and it's not moving. And let's put that bar back up where it needs to be in our personal lives because God has never, ever demonstrated anything less than, than in excellence than what he's ever offered us. He has demonstrated only excellent love, only excellent provision, only excellent protection and guidance. And when he saved you and when he saved me, he saved us with an excellent salvation. Therefore, he says, make an excellent commitment back to me Bring me the best commitment that you can bring me. So God's question for us today as we kick off this new year is, are you going to do that? No more scraps, no more bones, no leftovers. It's time for us to give our very best to the Lord. Well, secondly, in response to God's very best towards us, you need to offer your very best love and sincere affection to God. This is something that men have a hard time with. I, I, I'm one of you. 
I, I understand that. Most of us aren't outwardly affectionate in a lot of different ways, and it seems to be the same thing in our relationship with God. But see, God not only deserves our unconditional carte blanche commitment, but he also deserves a more sincere form of love and affection from us to him. You see, I think the problem is so many of us care far too much about what other people think. We allow other people's perceptions to shape the way we live, the way we react, even the way that that we relate and worship God. Some have a real hard time simply raising your hands in worship to God because you worry about what the person next to you might be thinking. Some of you worry about what your family members might be thinking. And God forbid, if we ever mention Jesus outside of these four walls, I mean, people might think you're a Jesus freak. And some people can't handle that. You don't want to be the oddball. You don't want to be the guy who stands up and says, hey, I serve the Lord, and I'm going to serve until I die. So just deal with it. That's who I am. But the truth is, when you discover that God loves you in an unbounding way, when you come to the realization that his love for you is an excellent love, it's a costly love, it's a self-giving love, it is a well-meaning a heartfelt and affectionate love that he has for you and I, when you experience the powerful and the personal love of God, you can only ask yourself, how should I respond to an excellent love like that? Do I say, okay, thumbs up, God, that a boy. I'm really moved by that, God. And then you just go back to business as usual. No, you need to give God a more heartfelt expression of love in return. You need to move out of your comfort zone and begin to experiment with expressions of affection that you've never done before. Perhaps it's lifting your hands in worship. It no longer becomes an issue. Maybe it's, it's talking to him throughout the day, thanking him and acknowledging his goodness in your life and, your gra- and his grace in your life and simply offering thanks to him throughout the day. Taking the time to read the Psalms, like Psalms 86 which contain all kinds of of words of praise. It says things like, you are great, God, and you do marvelous deeds. Teach me your way, O Lord, and I'll walk in your truth, and I'll walk in in an undivided heart. I praise you, O Lord, my God, with all my heart. I glorify your name, for great is your love for me. You, O Lord, are compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in love and faithfulness. If you don't know how to praise God, start reading the Psalms out loud. Those words will become your words if you don't know how to praise. They are already spelled out there for you. They are terms of praise that other people have prayed out to God, and it's okay for you to pray them as well. They will become words of your own. Just reading these Psalms with a heart that is intended to love God is like loving poetry, an expression of your faith and your love back to him. It's also taking the opportunities of the time where you're, you're driving from one place to the next in your car and, 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 and sometimes listening to, to praise and worship music, talking to him, praising him and, and worshiping him, thanking him when there's just moments of you and him. It might even be something as simple as, as defending God in conversations that go on in the workplace. You know what I'm talking about. Some of the crazy conversations that go on that, that really can anger you when you hear some of the things that, God, that people attribute to God. Because your love is so real for him in your life, you, you feel a need to stand up. You, need, you feel a need to testify to the things of God. And you don't begin these new expressions of, of love to God because your pastor is telling you to do so. You do so in response to his excellent love that he has offered you. Like Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, 14, the love of Christ constrains us. It means that he, it has me in its grip. And when God's love gets a grip on it, gets a hold of you, then, then naturally you want to give it back to him. You desire to offer a carte blanche commitment and a more sincere expression of your love to him. And thirdly, In response to God's very best towards us, we must offer our very best gifts and abilities to the Lord. When I told you earlier that I wasn't giving God my best and that he was just getting my leftovers, 
Well, I'm here to tell you that that is a recipe for failure. It was that attitude combined with me being focused only on myself that began a great decline in my personal life, in my spiritual life. And I eventually walked away from the faith that I had been taught as a child and as a young man. And I fell hard. And I ended up becoming a person that I and my friends around me and my family could not even recognize. And that is what sin will do to you. It will always take you to places that you never wanted to go. And when I say places, the place where you usually end up is in the gutter. And you can't find your way out. You're in a ditch, and that's where sin takes you. But God didn't give up on this wayward son. He followed me. He pursued me. I've said before, he haunted me. And through his tremendous grace and forgiveness, he brought me back. He picked me up. He dusted me off. He took the filth away from me. And I gave my heart and my life to him. But for the first time, I started to serve him by giving him my best. In small ways, I began to serve and utilize the small giftings that he had given me for his glory. And I did it in lay ministry. And during those years, God blessed my family. And we prospered. I was eventually able to go into business for myself. At a very successful business. Life was good. We were all doing really well. And that's when God called me into full-time ministry as an occupation. And I'm thinking to myself, God, you've just blessed me with this great business. And I have a beautiful wife. And I have a beautiful daughter. And things are going so well for us. You've shown me that how when I give my best to you, you bless me in ways that I never dreamed or perceived. And now this? (laughs) Come on. I'm comfortable. I'm providing for my family. Life is good. We can afford to go on a good vacation every year. And now you want me to walk away from all of this and give you my best abilities and gifts and talents in a different way? And really what it boiled down to was simple. Here was the question that was being asked of me. Was I willing to continue to give God my best? Was I going or willing to give God the best years of my life, my best skills and energies for his work? Or was I going to reserve my very best for things of my own choosing, things that only benefited me? and my family. But you know the decision was already made when I reflected on God's willingness to take the very best that he had to give and to invest it into a mess like me. And I said, God, I will do what you're asking me to do. I'll give you the best years of my life. I'll give you my best skills and talents to further your cause here on this earth. And I didn't do it out of fear of punishment or out of a sense of guilt. I did it because I truly wanted to give my best to the one who gave his very best for me. And when I went and talked to my wife about it, I I feared, you know, she might think, I didn't sign up for this. But she didn't. She said, if that's what God is calling you to do, you've got to do what God's calling you to do, and you've got to do it now. It's how God works in a a household that, that serves him and gives their all to him. And here's the truth. As we talk about mine, let's talk about you. Very few of you, if any, will be asked to leave the marketplace and to go into full-time ministry. Most of you are going to stay right where God has placed you on a professional level. But that doesn't excuse anybody in this place from having to wrestle with this truth this morning. Are you going to take some of your talents and your energies and invest them in God's kingdom work and for his purposes? Or are you only going to utilize those talents and those energies for yourself in the workplace or for your own profession? You see, here's the problem in our country today. Too many churches operate sluggishly. Why is that? Because people take their best God-given talents and abilities and they pour them exclusively into their professions and into their careers, and they have little left over to give to God. Or something that they reluctantly give to God is a little scrap of their their time or their talent, 
and they give him a leftover half hour or so a month. And honestly, people act like there should be a marching band from heaven cheering them on when they do that. But you know what old Malachi would say? He said, God doesn't want your scraps. And he doesn't want your leftovers. He wants you to wrestle with how you can take your best talents, your, your best abilities, the best energies of your life, and figure out how to invest them into his kingdom as well. To invest them in a way that will further God's purposes in this world. Don't give him your blemished lamb. Listen, I am not trying to be harsh this morning. This is a difficult sermon. Nor am I trying to make you think that I always get it right, because I don't. And if you think I always get it right, you got a problem. You don't know me well enough. Believe me when I tell you that I prayed about this message before I'm delivering it here this morning. I am speaking the truth to all of you in love. And I just want Malachi to rock your world like he rocked my world and like he rocked many of those Israelites way back when. And I want you to really see what God's standard is, but furthermore, deal with the reality of his standard because I don't want to stand before God one day having misrepresented or condoned a level of commitment to you that is not even biblical. And there's a lot of that going on in the United States of America, and I don't want to be one of those guys. I guess in a sense, I'm being your Malachi today as I'm bringing you this message. So once again, here's the standard. Your very best commitment, your very best love, your very best affection, your very best contributions of your skills and of your talents for the, for the one who has never given you less than his very best in your life. Because ladies and gentlemen of High Point Assembly, that will go on all the way through eternity. It will always be your best for his best. Maybe some of you, after hearing this, this thing's got to sink in a little bit, and you need to go home and have your own personal brawl session with God about this. I don't know. But I do know that one day you are going to stand before the very best. And your eyes are going to behold the glory of God. And I can promise you that on that day, you will be so glad that you gave him your best, that you gave him your prize lamb, and you gave him the greatest commitment of affection and skills and talents every day of your life. Sometimes I wonder what would happen in this church and in this community if every one of us were giving God our best lambs. Can you imagine? You see, churches are not great because of the pastor. I can be easily replaced tomorrow by another person that has a calling on their life. Great churches become great churches because of the people inside of that church. People who without reserve and without putting conditions upon God allow him to work in and through them. Scott, will you guys come forward and help me to close this down? You know, as we look at 2021 squarely in the face this morning, God is asking all of us, all of us, Will this be the year? Will this be the year that you finally give me your best land? Will this be the year that you take all conditions off of the table? Will this be the year where you will go from a partial commitment to a complete sellout to me? And let me tell you something. How you answer those questions will determine what kind of year that 2021 will develop out to being in your own life. I believe that our time is short. I believe that we've got to give God our lives without reservations and give it to him unconditionally. It is truly the only way that he can work through us and to fulfill his destiny and his purpose in each of our individual lives. But having said that, you should not do something like that because I've asked you to. Because I've pleaded with you up here. You should do it in response to the excellence 
that our great God has poured out into your life in literally every aspect of your life. I believe that God wants us to put the metal, the pedal to the metal this year, increase our commitment to him, to increase our awareness of, of those who are lost around us throughout this community. Because time is not only short for us, but time is short for them. None of this stuff will happen if we take on the attitude that, that I'm immovable. It won't happen if we continue to live with a partial commitment. And so I believe he's challenging each one of us today, and I can't think of a better way to once again be reminded of his excellence towards us than to participate in communion together. We typically do this on the first Sunday of the month, and we're doing it today. And this is a time when we remember God's goodness towards us when he sent us his very best lamb his one and only son, to redeem the world, to redeem us and to bring us back to God the Father. Jesus, the, the sinless and the perfect Lamb of God, died so that we could live. And through his resurrection, he provides us with eternal life in God's presence when our time on this earth is done, whether that be through natural cause, death, or whether it be when he comes and returns for us. He told us to remember he told us never to forget what he did on our behalf. And that's what communion is all about. And again, I can't think of a better way to be reminded of his excellence, which should in turn propel us in excellence in our serving of him. When you arrived, you should have received the communion emblems out on the table. If you didn't do that, you can go ahead and head back and get one and bring back and join us. Um, so hopefully you picked one up. I've said this a thousand times before, but it is so true. We cannot make communion just a ritual or just something that we do once a month in order to check off our Christian duty on our monthly Christian duty list. Communion has to always be something that is very special to us. It has to be something that is heartfelt. I guess what I'm trying to say is we've got to do it right. We must do it with excellence in response to the excellence that Christ has shown us throughout our lifetime in all things. And when I say excellence, what I, what I mean is that we have to do it with the right heart. In 1 Corinthians 11:27 27 through 29, it spells it out for us. It says, therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. Every time we participate in communion together, we must examine our hearts. Examining our hearts really means nothing more than we just lay ourselves open to God and we say, God, forgive me for anything going on in my life that is simply just not pleasing to you. You must determine if there's any unconfessed sin in your life. And if there is, you need to confess that sin. And if you find that you are harboring bitterness and unforgiveness towards another, you need to confess that as well. But then you take it one step further, you leave here with the intention of offering forgiveness to that individual that you've been harboring hard feelings against and forgive them just as Christ forgave you. Because certainly none of us want to be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of Christ. And so as always, I want to provide everyone in this place an opportunity to make sure that we are in a right standing, that you and I personally are in a right standing with the Lord. We're going to have a moment of silence. The only thing you're going to hear is this music playing behind me. And during this time, I want you to reach out to God in silent prayer. Pray in your own way, in your own time. Pray for forgiveness. Pray for any unconfessed sin. For your heart to be right before God as we participate in this sacred moment. And if you're here this morning or you're watching online and you have never received Jesus as Lord and Savior, you can do so right now. The Bible says to receive salvation, you must believe and you must confess. The believing part is just believing that Jesus was God's son. He was the lamb of God. 
that he came and he lived a perfect life and he died a horrendous death and the blood that he shed atones or covers your sin. You say, I believe Jesus is the only way to God and I ask you to forgive me of my sins and he will. That's the confession part, just saying those things in your mind, in your heart to God. And when you do that, Jesus will save you. The Bible says that you will be cleansed of all unrighteousness. It also says you will become a new creation. In essence, he wipes your slate clean. He gives you a fresh start. And if we all do this, we can all participate in communion knowing that we are doing so in a worthy manner, as the scripture says. This time of communion can be very meaningful if you allow it to be. Because as you remember, just as Jesus told us to remember, he will bless you during that time. We are doing it to remember him, but in doing so, there is a blessing that comes to us. So let's take just a moment to go to the Lord in silent prayer. heard our words and you've read our hearts Lord forgive us of our sin forgive us of those things in our life that are not pleasing to you those things that we have put above you today we commit our lives to you once again and our desire Lord this year and this new year is to give you all of us all of ourselves to you and we ask that you would use us mighty ways. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've uh, never done these disposable communion cups, there's cellophane on the top that you pull that will uncover the wafer. And then the tab below that will uncover the juice. If you received one that looks like a goblet, you need to pull the tab on the bottom first get the wafer otherwise you'll be in trouble because <laughs> it's on the bottom and the juice is on the top I don't know if any of you got those we had some left over from Christmas Eve on the night that Jesus was betrayed the night that he was arrested in his last meal with his disciples he took the bread and, and he had given thanks and when he, he broke it and he explained it to him he said this body rep, this bread excuse me represents my body which is broken for you. He said, every time you participate in communion, every time you participate by eating of the bread, do this in remembrance of me. And so as you eat this, this bread today, let it be a reminder of the bruised and battered body of the Lord Jesus Christ that was broken for you. And that by his stripes, you and I were healed. You may eat the bread. same way he took the cup. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, of my blood. And he said, whenever you drink of this, do so. And remember me, remember the blood that I shed on the cross. So as you drink of this juice this morning, 
be reminded of the precious blood that poured out of the body of the sinless Son of God, the Lamb of God, for the redemption of your sin, because it is his blood that covers or atones for your and my sin. You may drink the juice. Stand to your feet as we sing. Oh, the blood of Jesus. Oh, the blood of Jesus. And oh, the blood of Jesus. It my prayer is that every one of us in this place called High Point Assembly would greatly focus this year on our standing before you and determine if we are giving you our crippled lambs or are we giving you our very best. Only we can answer those questions alone by ourselves. And so God, I pray that our heart's cry and desire would be that we would bring you our best every time, just as you have brought your best to us that we would worship you in spirit and truth, that we would grow in our knowledge of you, our understanding of who you are, our knowledge of the scriptures, so that we can learn more about the standard that you have set and that we can become more like Christ, which is the goal of every follower of Christ. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would empower us to be more than we are today, that you, were, you would give us a boldness and a strength to speak forth the truth from your word to others who need to hear it, that we would recognize those around us who are lost and in darkness and care enough to share your goodness with them. It's what you've asked us to do, and God, I pray that you give us the strength and the ability to do so. I ask for opportunities for each one of us to share our faith with others and then trust in you to give us the words to speak because you will, you always do. It says that in your word. But God, most importantly, that we would give you our all, that we would not be a 50% Christian, but we would be 100% in to you, who you are, what you mean to us, and that we would give you faithfulness in our service to you in all areas, that we would not settle for second best, but we would give you our best. So Lord, I thank you as we head into this new year that you have plans for us. You have a purpose for us individually, and you have a purpose for this church, and I pray that we would fulfill that purpose that we would go above and beyond anything that we ever imagined or expected in this coming year in seeing people want for your kingdom. Not for the sake of church growth, but for the sake of people being one and knowing that they too will spend eternity in your presence. Make that a heart's cry for all of us, that we care about others enough to know where they stand spiritually and if they are in a right relationship with you. And if not, 
we can be the vehicle to lead them to that. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would guide and direct our steps this week as we go our separate ways. The things we do, the places we go, the conversations that we have, let them be glorifying conversations, conversations that build up and do not tear down. Help us to be agents of your love to people who desperately need to see love lived out in front of them. And help us, Lord, to serve you and worship you in spirit and truth. I ask that you keep us safe until we gather together again. Keep us safe from COVID. Keep us safe from any other sicknesses or disease, from accidents, anything that might befall us, Lord. I pray that you'll keep us safe. Protect us until we gather together again and we can join together in one accord and worship you. Thank you for this day. Thank you for your blessings. Thank you for getting us through another year. We look forward to what 2021 has in store for us because we look forward to serving the one who gives not just life, but abundant life. So work in and through us, Lord. That's our heart's cry. We give you the permission to use us in any way that you see fit. And we ask these things in the precious and holy name of Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Thank you for being here today. I bless you.